Yesterday, Sam was, or Tiger was sharing our story about when we were in DTS and like the amount of money that comes in. And immediately I thought, man, when we didn't have any money, we went to the cafe because we didn't have any money. And we're like, we need to just at least do what we can do, even though it's totally impossible for us to come up with this money. And Sam was at the cafe calling all of his friends to donate money to us for our outreach. And Sam like barely knew us. And I remember thinking like, what is this place? Like you're calling your friends that don't even know me to like give money to me. Like I, we were just so overwhelmed by generosity. But I just wanted to take a second to honor Sam because he does so much like. <laughs> he, uh, he, he fights for people, like he like handles a lot of things logistically, but more than that, honestly, Sam is one of the main reasons Tiger and I decided to stay here. Because we were born and raised in Hawaii. Anybody who's been here for more, at least two years knows that first year is kind of like, you're like, I don't want to go to another dessert night and have like a surface level conversation with another person. Like I just want to be around people who like I know, and it's just hard to transition into a new place. And Sam constantly was like, what do you guys need? Anything you need, just tell me what you need. Like, we'll get you guys a bed. We'll get you guys, like, just so in every way took care of us. And I just had the thought, as I was talking about memory, when I think about the wards in our story, like, all throughout our story, there's been, like, significant people who play a part in your story. All of you know that. But then it, thinks, it makes me think, man, the joy of obedience. And Sam's not, like, waking up, like, God, like, speak to me. Like, he's just loving Jesus and loving people, and it actually starts to change people's story and influence what people decide because of your yes. Um, and it's powerful. Um, I wanted to touch really quickly, if it's okay, on the topics you just shared, just because it ties in with, I feel like, what I'm going to share about today in terms of the implications of what we do. And I feel like it's actually really important for this generation. Um, I'm not saying just, like, 18-year-olds. I just mean my generation, like, this generation alive on the earth is we can be so like, well, I want it now. Like, what can I get now? What can I like meet my needs now? What, how can I like do this now? And so it's not as much a purity sexual issue as it, as it is like, what is it that we really want? And Tiger talks about this. He said, but if, if I'm just focusing on, okay, I don't want to do this. I want to be, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do this. You're actually just going to end up becoming those things. But if I'm looking at Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, give me a pure heart. Jesus, you let me be a student of purity. Show me what it looks like to walk like you, Jesus. That changes things. And then I'm not looking at my boyfriend or girlfriend saying, how much can I touch you without it actually being sin? Like, that's a much lesser playing field than actually becoming like Jesus. And I wanted to read this scripture. It's Hebrews 12. It's a good... Uh, punch to the gut. And it ties in with what I'll share in my story too, but also on this topic. It says, it's Hebrews 12, um, 14 to 17. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and has no bitter root grow up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or as godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, inheritance rights as the oldest son. So if you think about that parable of, e or not parable, the real life thing that happened with Esau, where he's like, I want that bowl of porridge to fill my stomach because I'm hungry right now. And he actually laid down his entire inheritance for his whole life to fill his stomach for one moment. And often that's what we can do in dating relationships or relationships like, what can I fill myself with right now? And I'm going to actually lay down my inheritance in marriage, my inheritance as a mother to be able to tell my children and steward my life in a way that would 
actually give my children an inheritance because I want to do something right now that feels good. Does that make sense? And uh, I just wanted to share this quickly. Brooke Volley, we went to the um, Anderson wedding. I don't know if you, you guys have heard Brooke, uh, I want to say Mark Anderson, Bryce Anderson, um, lead worship. Uh, he's in the prayer room. His wife is this beautiful um, Hawaiian hapa girl. And she stood at her wedding vows, and she looked at her husband, and she said, I've, I've thought about you. I didn't know who it would be. I didn't know that it would be you. But when my friends were out partying, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about this day. I was stewarding my life, thinking about this day, that I'd be able to give you myself and my body only for you because I thought about you, and I love you, and I, I want to say that you're worth it, like you're worth all of me. Holy smokes, I was weeping. I'm like, God, let this be my kid's, my kid's testimony. Like, that's the greater glory here. Like, that I would, that, like, as men, you would get to stand in front of your future wives and not feel like, again, if you've messed up, okay, whatever, wash it under the blood. From this day now, tomorrow, that you could start stewarding your life so that you could look at your wife and say, I had a revelation of Jesus, and I started thinking about this day and the value of your life that I would get to steward your heart forever. And I made choices in my single years to, to, set, to set you up to, for honor and for a lifetime of you knowing that I love you and you're worth it. That is like the goal. It's not the goal to just not sin. It's not religion. It's like, well, how, how can I do, what can I do enough to not be bad or make people like, be like judging me? I'm actually stewarding my life to honor God and to honor people, especially your future spouse, future wife. That's not mine and Tiger's story. Honestly, we didn't have we didn't have boundaries. We didn't know. Like, we didn't have people speaking into our lives saying, hey, this is like how you honor and value a woman. Tiger didn't have that. I didn't have someone saying, hey, this is the value of your body. This is the way Jesus sees you. Like, I didn't have those things. You guys are getting those things now. And so it's, I have so much hope for a generation in the midst of there being so many options and there being endless permission. Like, you do you. You do what feels good for you. Like, great, but you're going to sell your inheritance for your children if you live that way. And I want my kids... Like, a friend of mine said this recently. She said, we got married. They had a rough year, first year of marriage. Especially, she was really struggling. Just, she had all kinds of stuff going on. Marriage will bring everything out. Just so you know, it doesn't fix everything. It actually uh, intensifies everything. So, <laughs> all the things you thought were dealt with, you start to realize, oh, actually, maybe I didn't actually deal with this. Because now you're here all the time. And you can see it all the time. Um, you have a lot more opportunity for offense, all of it. It's glorious. I literally pray and cry on a daily basis because I want everybody to have what I have with Tiger. Hear me. I'm not saying marriage is a drag. I'm just saying that it's real, um, real actually hard work. But she, anyway, she was saying that her first year, she was like struggling. Like, I don't even know if I made the right decision. If I'm being honest, I don't know, like if I should have done this and just honestly was not kind to her husband. Like she took a lot of her own stuff out on him. They were both doing it to each other. They had a son. She cried for probably a week straight, repenting every day to her husband. She said, I, the way I've been talking to you is not okay. I am having a revelation that you're, a, you're somebody's son. Like, you're a son, and I'm talking to you this way. This isn't okay. Because if anyone were to talk to my son that way, I would hate them. So she's actually having a revelation of the father in her marriage. So, again, bringing this back to purity, it's not as much of, like, should we have sex, should we not? It's, okay, that's, someone, that's the father's daughter. That's the father's son. So if he's in the room, are you honoring her the way you would if her actual earthly dad was in the room or his earthly, his earthly mom was in the room? I want my kids to, like, I want my daughters to think about the way Tiger treats her and say there's no way a guy will ever talk to me that way because I know the way my dad's honored me. I can see the way my dad honors my mom. 
Like, I'm talking about, it, like, inheritance for years and years to come. We want to steward our lives this way. And it, it counts now in just friendships, guy-girl friendships. Not like, hey, how much can I flirt with this girl without me having to be committed? Do you want someone to do that to your future daughter? No, you will kill him. I'm telling you right now, whether you have kids or not, you will kill him. And so you start thinking about it this way, that's somebody's son, that's somebody's daughter. Okay, that was just a, a bonus points. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I mean, it does, it ties into our story. But we, um, I'm going to share my story, and it's kind of like a pull a few things out of it. I, like Tiger said, um, I grew up, I grew up like a very good girl. My, I had a blended family, a lot of um, tension in relationships in my family, but not necessarily my problems. It was always like the problems around me. My, my sister became a drug addict. My brothers were like, all of, none of my siblings were saved when I was growing up, and I'm the youngest of five. Um, they're all half siblings. And um, I honestly was like good, but it was more self-righteous. It was like, I'm not gonna drink at a party because that's embarrassing. Like I see all my friends getting drunk and I don't wanna look like that, that's embarrassing. It wasn't because I'm like, I was actually like holy and loving Jesus. I just was like, I don't wanna do that. Kind of similar to Tiger, like I don't have to do that. Like it was more so pride if I'm being honest. And, but then I, I wouldn't have known it at the time, but now looking back, I honestly became like, like a Pharisee. Like I knew God, I had heard from God, I, knew what it was to talk to God. I had quiet times. Like, I did all the, like, things you learn to do at youth group. But I didn't know, like, really, really know Jesus. Like, he didn't have my whole heart and my whole life. And I lived in a very self-righteous way. Like, I would say, like, people, some people do this. I would, like, I would never do that. Like, in some ways, I was, like, here and other people who did bad things were here, which makes me want to throw up just saying out loud because it's not the gospel. Um, but... I went through my life that way, started dating Tiger, we're best friends, like, it was just easy, like, people called us old people, like, oh, like, that's, they called each other, like, oh, that's, like, your husband, that's, like, your wife, even though we were 16, we were just kind of, like, always old souls, we went to bed early, watched movies for fun, like, we never, like, did the party scene together or anything, we just, like, kind of, we just knew we were going to marry each other, it was, like, never a question for me, like, he was it, um, Definitely had a lot of identity issues and a lot of brokenness, but for the most part, our relationship from the world standards was, like, actually great. Like, we were best friends. We loved each other. Um, and then I went to my first year of college, and it's like everything I believed got challenged in a moment. I had this, this teacher who was literally, he was brilliant. And I honestly think he was, like, anointed, but not the right kind of anointing, like, anointed of the enemy to, like, bring confusion like there's a such a spirit of confusion in the classroom and I all I can say is I went to school one day thinking like I'm going to save my whole class I'm going to save my professor like within one week I'm like is this really what I believe like he taught Christianity it was under it was a, a class called understanding the old testament so I was like awesome I need a, a college credit and read the bible um I didn't know at the time that it was like to basically convince you that it's not true like the teacher was a complete atheist, and he taught it like you teach Greek mythology. And it just, like, honestly, I came under this, like, thing, and I was like, who am I? What do I even believe? That led me into a season of basically becoming someone that I never thought I would be. I, like, started getting attention from guys in the class. I was this, like, new freshman girl. And I almost started living, like, the life I never lived in high school that I took so much pride in. Like, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't need to party. Um, and long story short, I ended up betraying Tiger. I, like, had this, like, other life. Like, all these people didn't know I had a boyfriend. I, did, I kept that life here and then would live my life with Tiger in, on the other side of the island. And um, I kissed a guy. 
he didn't, had no idea I had a boyfriend. I was like, and then I lied about it for a long time because I'm like, I don't want to be honest about this. I'm going to lose Tiger. And I just, like, as Tiger said, the more and more compromise and deception you're in, the more and more you're tormented if you know the truth. And I knew the truth, so I was totally tormented. And then one day I just broke, and I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I told Tiger. You heard his part of our story. Uh, but for me personally, it, like, it flattened me. Like, I've never known humility like I knew then because all the things that I thought about myself were actually not true. I'm like, this is actually what I'm capable of because I don't know Jesus. Like, I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I'm actually, as, as silly as it sounds, it was like my first real revelation of I need a savior. I'm a sinner. Like, I'm a broken. I had never done bad things, even though probably my pride and self-righteousness was, according to Jesus, the worst. <laughs> like, so often we think like, oh, I've never had adult. I've never committed adultery. I've never done this. Okay, if you've been prideful, if you've manipulated relationships, you're worthy of the cross. Like, Jesus, those are the things that nailed Jesus to the cross just as much as someone else's pornography, adultery, all of those things. Um, and I had a revelation of that. I was like, man, this is actually who I am. And it broke me. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I can't go to this school anymore. I'm like a mess. And so, like Tiger said, I came into DTS here. It does what it does, and it changed my life. Um, I had never really seen people live out the gospel. More than any teaching I had, more than any breakthrough moment I had in a corporate time, my school leader was this 70-year-old sweet woman named Donna Jordan, and she was best friends with Jesus. And she asked Jesus everything. And Jesus was her best friend. I'm like, this is real. Like, you can actually live like this. This is, I, I saw Andy Bird. I see, like, some of these leaders, and I'm like, I was so provoked and realized that I, I could actually have that. So it's, it changed my life. Come home, get married. Um, like Tiger said, our honeymoon, you realize really quickly when you're both not fulfilled in Jesus and then you're trying to fulfill, fulfill yourself from each other, it just doesn't work. And I started realizing, I don't know that he actually loves me. Like, I think I love him, but this is not what I, I like thought this would be. I had this thing in my mind of what marriage would be, what intimacy would be, what like life together would be, and we don't have that. And it became very, very obvious once we actually made a covenant um, that something was wrong. But again, we didn't have real community to like, didn't have anybody to go to. Nobody I knew talked about marriage in a vulnerable way, and so we just like just kept going, kept living, kept trying to love each other. Um, probably about a year into our marriage, about when the affair started, um, I started to feel really like something's wrong, but I don't know what's wrong. I just could feel like Tiger like slipping away more and more. I thought he was really stressed from work. I thought I just was trying to fill in the blanks because I never in a hundred years thought that um, there would be an affair happening. And then probably about six months before it came out, because of everything in my life, I, sorry, after DTS, I asked the Lord, like, can I become a missionary? Like, I was, like, ready to run, like, ready to blaze, and I felt like the Lord said, go back and finish school, and I was like, no, like, I don't want to finish school, this antichrist school, and I hate these classes and all these things. I, like, tried to justify all the things of why I shouldn't have to go, and he said, you can go, you're different, and it was true. Like, I, my teachers would try and say anything, and I would start to make them uncomfortable because I was able to actually walk in the truth and expose what the enemy was doing in the classroom, and they made them very squirmy. Um, and so finishing school was a lot easier when you have a solid identity, praise God. 
And I did that and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I feel so stuck. I, again, I can like tell something's going on with Tiger, but I don't really know. And because we've never really had, we didn't know this at the time, it's all we knew. We never had like real depth. Like I never had full access to him, but I could tell like something was happening. I didn't know what. And I'm living with my parents. My in-laws are doing like all this awesome ministry stuff, have this house of prayer. I'm like, I want to move in there and like do all this stuff. But I feel very stuck because obviously I'm not going to go do something when my husband isn't, I'm not in agreement with my husband and I'm going to submit to him. And so I'm living at home, finishing college. I know it sounds, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but in my world, I felt very stuck. I was like, I hate this. I want to do something else. And if not for Jesus, I probably, who knows, I could have had an affair. I don't know. Because when you're not being fulfilled and you try and look for other fulfillment, it leads you to do really crazy things. And I think I watched myself starting to like fill myself. I just started like wanting to watch TV all day or kind of numb myself because my circumstances weren't awesome. And instead I was like, I, like I'm reading the Bible. I asked the Lord, like, Lord help me. And he said, I want you to spend two hours a day with me. I'm like, that's impossible. Like I don't even have enough time in the day to do my reading. If I read from morning till night, it's already a miracle that I finished my schoolwork. There is no way I can spend two hours a day just with Jesus reading my Bible. And he said, I want you to just try. And I did, and I'm not kidding, it was crazy. Like, I don't know if he made me read faster or what he did, but I did all of my schoolwork and was able to, like, commit to Jesus what he was asking of me. There will be grace for whatever God's asking you to do. Um, and I did that, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I attribute that season to probably the thing that saved my life. Probably Tiger's life, too. Um, Jesus saved our life, but... I, like for six months, God started to do something and I had not known spiritual hunger like I did then. I was like, I'm reading the gospels and if Paul's in prison, worshiping Jesus, writing encouragement to the churches, getting beaten again and again and again, and the gospel is, works for him, surely it can work for me living at home, finishing school in my sad circumstances. Like surely the gospel can be enough. And it, ha like, it started to stir this thing in me where I'm like, Jesus ha really has to be my everything. My husband, I don't know what's going on. He might not be able to love me right now. Jesus really has to be able to give me everything. And for about six months, it was in this process where I can honestly say he, he did. He became more my everything than he ever had been before. So that brings me to when everything got found out. And it was like an atom bomb in my family. Tiger doesn't, because of the redemption with my brother, um, he shared those details. We don't normally share all of those details, but since all of you know, you can understand how that would be a huge deal. Like, this isn't like we're all close. Like, we eat family dinners together every Sunday. So it was like a little explosion in my, in my family. And I, of course, was devastated. Of course, was in a ton of pain. I never... I never share my story and portray the picture that that was like easy and fun and no big deal. Um, but I will say I found that the Bible's true. And when you know Jesus and you know what he's like and you walk into the fire, instead of it burning you up, it actually shows you what he's like and it refines you. And I like, all I can say is every scripture, like Jesus, is, he, like God is near to the brokenhearted. He is really near to the brokenhearted. Often we don't know that because we don't know how to look at him in our pain. We're like, sh we're shut up in all of this pain and we can't look at Jesus, but he's actually literally right here all the time trying to let us, ask us to, asking us to let him love us, but we don't know how. But thank God in that season, I did know how. And I, I clung to him so desperately. It was like, if I woke up in the morning and didn't have Jesus, I was going to die. Um, I'm not 
ultra forgiving. And I'm some some people like hear my story and they're like, wow, like you're just so strong. I'm like, no, 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 don't be mistaken. Like I would have died. I would have been suicidal and a mess and psychotic if not for Jesus. Um, but because I did know him, I clung to him with everything I had. I didn't spend a ton of time like I don't know. I didn't have this process of like, oh, I guess I have to forgive this woman. I guess I have to forgive Tiger. Like I said, that season for me, like I understand what sin does and I know what I'm capable of. I can see myself in front of the cross. So forgiveness becomes an actually a natural overflow when you know what you've been forgiven of. If I have a consistent revelation of what I've been forgiven of, it's, it's really, it actually isn't possible. Like the forgiveness that flows from Jesus, if he gives that to me, it's impossible then. Like, imagine a, an, an adulterer coming to Tiger and being like, hey, I just have to confess this thing. And then imagine Tiger being like, wow, that's, I don't know if God can redeem that. Like, you actually probably have to, like, sit over here for a little while, and that's too big of a deal. You'd be like, uh, are you kidding? You hypocrite. Like, God just rescued you out of that exact thing. We don't realize so often is that actually is what we do. Like, Jesus has forgiven me from, for so much. I've gossiped. I've said all these things. And then someone does that to me, and I'm like, holy smokes, they need punishment when... I'm forgetting all that I've been given. So in my story, what I would say is I don't think it was as much like God just like convinced me to forgive. I think honestly the work that God had done in my heart and my life was so real that when there came a moment for forgiveness to be needed, I had it to give because I had had a consistent revelation of who I am without Jesus. And I knew Tiger and this woman were for sure separated from Jesus. Um, so again, it wasn't like, like, I could release them and forgive them. I still was in a ton of pain. I still was, like, hurting. But I wasn't sitting back saying, I hate this woman. I want to kill her, how she betrayed me. I wasn't sitting back saying how much I hate Tiger. I was actually weeping, just begging God to give him back to me. Um, but, again, that's not because of me and my own strength. That's because when you are flooded with the love of God, you can't not love people. And there was never a time where I didn't love Tiger. Um, and I... I feel like I, I would wake up in the morning and just a few things to make it real because it's real. And one of the things that the enemy would consistently say is um, you, like, tried your hardest. So, like, you tried your best, you were a good wife, and still it wasn't enough, which actually was true. Um, it wasn't enough. And then, again, I would feel, hear the voice of truth. He'd say, you're never going to be enough for Tiger. Only I'm enough for Tiger. Don't try to be enough for Tiger. This has nothing to do with you. And then it's like all of a sudden my heart and my spirit would align with truth versus everything the enemy was constantly trying to say to me. It was constant for probably like two weeks. I would look in the mirror, like a huge wave of rejection would hit me. Like, you're not beautiful. You're not this. Like all these voices, which, again, often the enemy comes and lies to us in ways that can be proven. So... My husband just cheated on me with another woman. It would be very easy for me to conclude, I'm not beautiful, that's beautiful. She's beautiful, I'm not beautiful. It actually would be very easy for me to do that because I could say, look at my circumstances, this is what it's telling me. But then I have a moment where I can look at Jesus and he literally told me, he said, don't you dare. Like I felt it like he was disciplining me. He was like, don't you dare even entertain that for a second. You're more beautiful than I've ever seen you because he could see my heart and he knew that I wasn't walking in rage. Like I was clinging to Jesus and that's a beautiful sight to the Lord. And then that becomes my reality. And I don't spend the next five years hating myself and feeling ugly, no matter what Tiger tells me. And I, I'm painting this picture because it actually is absolutely vital for relationship, whether you're ever cheated on, whether you're ever betrayed. Jesus has to be our voice and our everything and our identity, or you will be, I don't know if I can say that, you will be messed up. Like you, it won't work well for you because 
He could have been totally redeemed and totally transformed. Tell me I'm beautiful every day. He literally writes me notes every day. Like, women, you should be so lucky. Um, he tells me constantly on this other side of redemption, he's loved me more than I could ever have dreamed. He could have done all of that. If I stayed in this place where let my circumstances and all these things define who I am and, and define like what I think about myself, I would still be crazy. I'd be checking his phone. I'd be crazy. I'd be worried he was going to leave me for some other girl in RTC who's beautiful. Like I would be insane. I'm not kidding. Like I'm still, I'm a human being. And apart from Jesus, that's how I'd be. But I'm telling you, I like the truth of God will really set us free. And I, I, I remember something else would come up. The enemy would be like, well, what if this happens again? Like, what if he gets redeemed? Even other women, like meaning well, we went to this like recovery group for people with addictions. And then I would go with all the women who had been betrayed. Tiger would go with the men who had been betraying their wives or whatever. And I would leave like more sad. I'm like, they need Jesus. Like this isn't like everything they're going through doesn't actually have to do with just their husbands. They just need a revelation of Jesus. And some of the women would be like, you know, like, just wait for a year, then it's really going to hit, and then you're really going to feel this way. I'm like, I, Tiger could leave me tomorrow, and that's not, like, what these emotions are based off of. Everything I'm feeling is because Jesus is so radically taking care of me, and I, can't, I literally can't escape his love. And if he hadn't have done that, then it's, we still wouldn't have worked. It still wouldn't have worked. Um, that's what I was going to say, is the enemy would say, what if, like, what if this happens? What if it happens again? And again, I'd have other women telling me, oh, yeah, well, my husband, like, repented, and then a year later, he did it again. And I'm like, that's not encouraging to me. Like, um, and I, I felt like the enemy would say that. And, I, and finally, the Lord, I basically was like, the Lord basically said, Carrie, what if? And I'm like, if this were to happen again, Jesus would be just as real to me as he is now. I know he'll take care of me. I know no matter what happens to me in life, Jesus has me. And it actually gave me the courage and the vulnerability to trust again and to love again because I know Jesus will take care of me. And I know that even if Tiger, Tiger chose something different, he would, like Jesus would still be my everything. And I'm not kidding. It settled that place of I would have been in constant anxiety of what if this happens again because it's happened before. Um, let me just... I don't usually take notes, but I wanted to make sure that. So when we talk about forgiveness and releasing forgiveness, it doesn't mean that the pain isn't real. It doesn't mean that sometimes boundaries don't need to be had. Like the woman that I had an affair with, I've probably prayed for her. I'm going to share a little bit. We don't do a break, right? Okay. I'm going to share about a little bit more about that soon, but I feel like I've asked the Lord consistently, can I, like, call her? Can I, like, meet her? Can I? And I've always felt, I've not felt peace about it. I've always felt like the Lord said, no, not yet. And so I've been obedient to that. And in some ways, honestly, the Lord might have been protecting me. There's other relationships I've had in life where, like, I think, I, you guys have done Pure Heart already, so I don't want to go through too much. While you guys were doing Pure Heart with Tom and Donna, we were doing Pure Heart with the Crossroads School. Is mine and Tiger's first time. And it's one of my favorite things because I'm like, you just watch Jesus come and set us free. But the thing that usually is the hardest is because we've had real pain, like very real pain. So when we start to talk about forgiveness and letting people go, it almost this like child in us almost feels like, well, that's not fair. Like you're asking me to forgive this thing that actually is super painful. Like, I don't know. I don't need a prophetic word to know that most of you have been through a lot of trauma. I don't need to know all of your story to know that most of you have had a lot of broken relationships and had probably betrayal and people hurt you. And that pain is really, really real. I'm not standing here saying, 
no big deal, just forgive. Like Sam said, like we're robots, like God just said to forgive, so we forgive. Actually, our hearts are really important to him, and our hearts and our pain really matters to him, which is why Jesus went to the cross. I'm just going to read Isaiah 53. Sorry, I had it up. So Isaiah 53, and who, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one, from, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and he was held in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, and the transgression of my people he was punished." For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his, in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. transgressors. So he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I, I have a hard time. Normally, I read that scripture, and I'm not kidding. I weep every time. Because talking about purity, talking about relationships, talking about forgiveness and coming out of shame, all of it has to do with looking at Jesus. All of it is going to come back to Jesus and the cross and what he's done for us. And when I look at mine and Tiger's situation, the thing that overwhelms me the most is that 2,000 years ago, not just that, Jesus walked his whole life on earth understanding rejection, understanding pain, understanding betrayal, understanding woundedness, understanding uh, literally like people hating you to the point where they're going to kill you. I don't think any of us have been there yet where people hate you so badly for no reason, for an unjust reason that they want to kill you. People that you're trying to save, people that you're trying to help. Um, when I think about all of what Jesus did, because he could look and see mine and Tiger's life and say, this is worth it, that he could look at my pain and go to the cross knowing that it was worth it, that he could die so that he could give me joy instead of pain, that he could give me a spirit of gladness instead of spirit of mourning, that he could take all of my bitterness and anger and give me a heart that's tender like his. Like, it is absolutely overwhelming. We will never graduate from the cross of Jesus Christ. Michael Culliano says this thing where he says, 
people ask me because he's like known as the Jesus guy. He's always talking about he preaches Jesus. And he said, people ask me like, dude, when are you going to change the subject every now and then? He said, I'll change the subject when the father does. And he's the subject of heaven. Like he's literally the reason we're here. He's the reason we're alive. He's the reason we're in this room. Whether you know him or not, it's no accident that you're here. He drew you here. It's because of him that we're here. And so looking at pain, looking at needing opportunities to, for forgiveness, it's not going to come by trying to be a more forgiving person. Like, oh, God, just make me more forgiving. Oh, God, just make me more forgiving. It's going to come by looking at Jesus. And it actually is supernatural. There is very few things that we do that are more supernatural than keeping a tender heart and keeping our hearts from offense. Because there are so many opportunities all day long, all your lifetime long, to have offense and bitterness and hard in your heart to protect yourself because it hurts and it's painful. Like Tiger said, he didn't just wake up one morning like, I don't want to trust him. They made him hard in his heart, hard in his heart, like put walls around himself and not let people in. But that actually hurts people. So then we're all living like this, not trusting each other with hard hearts, walls up. Talk about going into a marriage like that. You are going to hurt each other really badly because you're not actually able to love like Jesus loves. And... I think I'm saying it multiple times, and I'm going to keep saying it, is this isn't a thing of, like, something we can do. We're not going to naturally, we're naturally selfish people. Like, we're fallen people. We're naturally going to self-protect. I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to hurt. So this is going to be my response. That's our natural response. But what Jesus then steps in and does is he says, let me take care of your pain. Let me give you your identity. Let me show you how much I love you. And that will actually allow you to, to let people in even when they might hurt you even when they might betray you again, or they might, you might not be able to, you're not going to have a perfect relationship. I'm going to say quickly, I know I'm pretty, I'm sure Donna went over this as well, because she teaches on forgiveness, but forgiveness and trust are two different things. So if you've been abused, if you've been sexually abused by someone in your family, you could forgive them and give them that gift and keep your heart tender and free. You don't have to let them babysit your kids. Like, does that make sense? Like, I can, I can, if Tiger were to not choose me, if Tiger were to choose his own life and didn't want to repent and none of that, like, I can still forgive him and, like, love him, but it doesn't mean I'm going to try to, like, live with him if it's not healthy. Is this making sense? Because sometimes it gets confusing because there are people in our lives who can be really manipulative, really hurtful. They actually, like, not just, like, oh, that hurts my feelings, but actually this is, like, dis- destructive that doesn't mean you have to like let them really close and tell them all your most deep, intimate secrets and share your heart with them. It just means that it is also possible to still see them the way Jesus sees them, kind of like what, like what Tiger was touching on yesterday. I can see someone the way Jesus does. I can forgive you and release you and still not have like really close relationship with you if it's not healthy. So I don't want anyone leaving the room today feeling like, oh, I have to just forgive everything and pretend it's fine, and then I'm actually still in a really unhealthy relationship. That is not what I'm saying. The key is keeping your heart tender and your heart pure, and then just watch and see how God also uses that tender and pure heart to restore many. Um, this story that this story that I wanted to share uh, on this topic of like Jesus being my everything. Um, it was like a woman's deal, a woman's conference thing here on campus. And if I'm being really honest, I was like, I don't really want to go to that. Like. I, we're going to do Brave Love in here tomorrow with all the ladies. The guys are going to separate. That's, like, my jam. Like, I'm like, let's get on a horse. Let's kick, crush the enemy's head. Let's freaking go. Like, I don't know if I can say that on the mic. I'm sorry. Um, 
I just like, that's kind of like more my, like the way I am. I don't really like sitting and like decorating wreaths and like talking about like womanly things. Like that's normally not like my deal. Um, and if I'm being honest, I was kind of going to this women's thing, like thinking that's what we're going to do. We're like talk to each other about like being women and it's going to be boring. Um, but I love so many of the people doing it. So I'm like, I'm going to go. I want to like, I want to like have a relationship with the women on this campus and stuff. And I'm not kidding. The lady's message, like, it rocked me. And I was like, Lord, forgive me and thank you for letting me be here and not make assumptions about things. Um, but the woman shared this story. They have five kids. I can't even remember their, her name. She's, she's someone who's, I, I don't know if they're still here on campus, but they're an older couple. They have five grown kids now. And she shared a story about being like in her, um, like in her marriage and she had had one baby and her husband's like really practical, stewards money really well, like doesn't really spend money on unnecessary things. Like that's just kind of how he's wired. But in the area of like romance and winning her heart, it was like something she was longing for, for him to like buy her flowers or do something nice. It's not something that he would, he would normally do. She had a baby. It was hard as having babies are. And she told her husband like, you know, like maybe next time I do this again, next time I have a baby, like it'd be nice if you could like buy me some flowers or like you know, do something nice for me. Like, she just was, like, flat out telling him, like, this would be nice, not, like, hinting, like, sometimes women are like, well, you know, like, so-and-so's husband got her flowers. Like, she, like, literally told him, like, please, buy me flowers or do something nice for me next time. So the next time they have a baby, he gets her two flowers. They had a boy and a girl. He gets her this, like, blue rose, or not rose, um, carnation or something, and, like, a blue and a pink one. He hands them to her. He's like, he's like, honey, they were, it was one one for the price of two. Isn't that great? Like, like he literally thought, to be fair to him, he thought like, this is a great deal. That would like, he would love if someone got him something that was a great deal. And she was like, I don't want those flowers. I hate those flowers. <laughs> like, like not amused. It was not like the like romantic, like here, honey, let me like love you and all these things. So third baby comes, or maybe, sorry, I think this is by the, I think this is their fourth, by the fourth baby uh, no, no, no. Okay. So, okay. Third baby comes and her friend, one of her best friends was a good friend. She said, come here. I'm going to take you flower shopping and we're going to pick out a glorious bouquet for your wife. And you're not going to bat an eyelash at what it costs. Like you're going to get her. So she, the friend like helped him out. He got this bouquet of roses and no, I messed the story up. Okay. Okay. Rewind. Rewind. Sorry. <laughs> this is the, this is the punchline. Okay. So sorry. Someone for the third baby sends her a bouquet of roses and she gets this bouquet. She's like, oh, my gosh, honey, like, thank you. And he goes, he, like, looks a little bit, like, ashamed. And she's like, what? He's like, those are actually from your mom. But it still counts, right, because you got your roses. And she's like, no, it doesn't count. I want the roses from you. <laughs> like, so this is now, who knows? Okay, at least you're probably having a baby every two years. So this has been something, like, not just this one thing, but probably something in their marriage that has been brewing for a while where she feels not seen, not loved, all these things. Um, by the fourth baby, he, that's when he does, okay, Okay, are you tracking with me? This is when he does the good thing. He gets the roses. The friend helps him. He, like, is so happy. Like, here's your roses. And she's, it's hilarious when she's telling the story because she's like, she's like, I have a picture of me still standing there with my roses, like, smiling. And it's, like, not even awesome. Like, it's, like, like, she thought, like, these roses would, like, be the best thing. It's the thing that she really needed. And actually, she, like, was still not stoked. She's like, okay, cool, thanks. Like, I thought this would, like, make me more happy than it actually does. And then after that, they had, this, they had this thing happen. She's now got four kids at home. Um, she said this from the front. She's like, my husband would hate when I share this story because it makes him sound like such a 
not awesome guy, but it was a real life example of something that happened and came up in their marriage. So she's like overwhelmed. He plays tennis every Saturday. Her husband is like forever. It's what he does with his friends. He plays tennis. And she's like, hey, like, honey, like, could you just stay back today? Like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. The baby didn't sleep very much. And he was like, honey, like, you got this. Like, you got it. Like, basically told her, and this, it does. I'm like, I want to beat him up. But he, like, has this for sure failure moment as a husband and basically leaves and still goes and plays tennis. And she's like, I'm not kidding. I didn't know that I had that kind of rage inside of me. She's like, I was so angry. She's like, it's funny now talking about it, but at the time, I'm not, I was like ready to divorce him. Like, she's like, I was like, like, he doesn't see me. He doesn't even fear God. Like, I was like thinking all these things. Like, it became a very, because she's hurting. She's actually, her feelings are really hurt. And she has a legitimate reason for her feelings to be hurt. And her husband hasn't done a good job in some of those things. And so he's off playing tennis and she's literally like, I'm like turning into like a wicked witch at home. I'm like, I'm like, plotting like God let it rain let him have a terrible time like I'm praying like destruction like and then she hears this this still small whisper from the Lord saying I want you to look up what contentious means and she's like huh (laughs) and he said look up what contentious means and she said "Uh, I don't know if I want to do that because she already knows probably what the Lord's going to start to do is deal with her heart and she looked, and she's like, I'm pretty sure the Bible says something about it's better to be, like, stuck in a desert, or what is it, than to have a contentious wife on the roof of something. Um, sorry, I didn't quote it right. But something is, like, like, a horrible situation is much better than having a contentious wife. And so if that's what the Lord was revealing in her heart, she was like, this is, this is not going to be good. And she looked it up, and she said it means to prove one's point. So it's like, She's consistently looking at her husband trying to prove her point. This is how you are. You don't see me. You don't love me. Like, I'm, and this is bitterness now. She's literally actually bitter. It's not just like I'm kind of hurt. This is now years of bitterness brewing and growing. And she said, she's like, I can't explain it. I fell on my face before the Lord and I repented. I'm like, God, I don't want to be contentious, not just because of my husband, because of you. Like, I want to honor you. I don't want to be someone who's bitter and unforgiving and all these things. And she said, I just started writing down everything I'm thankful for my, for my husband. Thank you, God, that I have a husband who takes care of our family and has stewarded our money well, or we can have this house. Thank you, God, that I have a husband who plays tennis on Saturday instead of going out drinking on Fridays like my friend's husband. Thank you, God, that I had, like she just went over and over. God, thank you for my husband. Thank you for this. And she's like, he came home to the most thankful wife he had ever known. And That was like a marking period for their marriage because she was able to actually still be honest and let him into her pain and say, this is hurting me without then becoming bitter and angry and holding on to it and resentment building. And then lo and behold, they have another baby. I think they have five. I I hope I'm doing this right. They either have four or five kids. I know they have a lot. They had like kind of a surprise baby. And that time she's like, he paid attention. He knows that I love melons. He had a melon for me every day that I got done at the hospital. He took a week off of work, which he never does, so he could take care of me, so he could take care of the other kids. He bought me flowers every day. Like It was like off the charts of what she could never have dreamed that she would have wanted of tried to, to get her husband to be. But part of what happened actually is because she released him and gave him to the Lord. It didn't mean that he was instantly perfect, but she was allowed the Lord to deal with her heart and her bitterness And it actually transformed their marriage. And I was like, man. And she said this phrase, which is the, like, punchline of what I want us to all remember, is she said, my husband, I can't remember his name, but say I'm talking about Tiger. Tiger is just one of the ways that Jesus loves me. Like, when I think about our marriage, 
I am undone. There's no one I love in the whole world more than Tiger. Like, I could talk, I could spend the next two hours talking about everything I love about Tiger and how much he's my hero and everything I love about him and what a good husband he is. But he still is just one of the many ways that Jesus has loved me and pursued my heart and so won my heart. Like, Tiger is like, amazing, but no human will ever compare to what Jesus has done for me. No human will ever compare to what Jesus has done for any one of us. And often what bitterness and unforgiveness does is it actually is like, I'm holding this over you because you owe me something. I want something from you. I need something from you. Validate me. Love me. Even sometimes with our parents, if I'm being honest, we might have had really not great parents. And we can stay in this place of like, well, my mom never loved me. My dad never loved me. Hear me. I am an advocate of all the inner healing you can possibly have, but the greatest inner healing you'll have is believing the truth of God, that every person could reject you and abandon you, and he never will. And he'll swallow up loneliness, he'll swallow up an orphan spirit, he'll swallow up rejection because of his love. Like, that's who he is. And this thing about relationships and, like, I, I need you to fill this thing in me, it will actually hurt each other. That's what Hebrews says. Um, It'll take me a minute, but it's Hebrews 12, what I just read in the beginning, where it says, be careful that no bitter root grows up because it will defile many. It will literally hurt many people. Like my bitterness, I might think like, this isn't a big deal. I'm not like, I'm not yelling at people. It might even be all internal. If I'm bitter, it's going to affect my marriage. If I'm unforgiving, it's going to affect my relationship with Jesus because I'm not going to come sit at his table and hate some of his kids. Like my kids can be in a fight and be really mad at each other. My son Abraham, he like is very, what's the right word? His emotions can be very high. <laughs> he's very sensitive. He's a lot like me. And his sister can do something that makes him so mad. He's literally crying like, she did this, she said this. And Eden can be on the other spectrum of like, yeah, I said that, I don't care. Like she's like, empathy is not up here for her. It's like pretty low. Um, and so she'll just be like, like, yeah, well, it's funny. We This is a side note, but like we'll be watching a show and she'll be like, I hate her. I'm like, what? And she's like, she's bad. She's, she's the bad guy. I hate her. I'm like, we like to say like we don't like people, but we still like, I'm like trying to have this like deep theological talk about why we don't hate people. We hate what they do. Like we can hate someone's actions, but we don't hate them because they're a child of God. And she's like, she looks at me, she goes, but I hate her. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. We'll revisit this when you're a teenager and have more capacity to understand. But I'm just saying, like, he, like she can do something that's so, like, we use the word savage. Like, geez, like, have a heart. And she's not repentant. She doesn't care. And he's, like, then gets mad at her. I'm not going to bring them to my table and then have them just tell me all the things they hate about each other. Like, that, as a mom, is not victory to me. Like, Abraham or Eden just getting punishment because they did something wrong is not victory. Like victory for me is them being able to repent, to see each other, for Abraham to forgive her and say, hey, the next time that like, like to give her another chance, like to show her that he loves her, to show him that she loves him. Um, for Eden, does this make sense? Like it, it's like, like us being the parents, like you're not going to come sit at my table and tell me everything you hate about my son, even if he's done really bad things. Like I love my son. I'm going to see my son no matter what, no matter what he does, I'm going to see him as his mom. And I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to believe that tomorrow he might get the breakthrough. He might grow up and do, make really bad choices. I'm still going to have that perspective of him. That's the perspective the father has about all of us. So often we come to the table and we're like, hey, God, can you like talk to me about this, this, and this? And he's saying, I'll talk to you about those things, but can we talk about this relationship because it's hurting my heart too. Like it actually hurts God's heart. 
when we are bitter and angry and don't love each other. I'm going to go back to Jesus because that is not possible to do unless you've had a revelation of love. Because we'll only operate, we'll only be able to give what we've been given. And if I don't know how much Jesus loves me, how often he's done that, when I'm the one sitting at the table running to all these other things and, and rejecting Jesus and the amount of times Jesus and the Father have sat down with me and said, oh, but this is who she is. This is like, this is what we see in her. No matter, even though she's, she's in pain, we see her pain, but we're going to see her through this lens. <clears throat> and that's going to bring me into the transition of what I felt like the Lord was saying in, it's kind of along the lines of this inheritance word, um, but it's not just like, it's not just like, what we can do is we can like, okay, I can like forgive this person, this woman who um, the affair was with. I can honestly, in all integrity, say I forgave her. I texted her the next day. I said, I love you. I want what God's highest for your family. Please don't contact my husband again, but I like fully release you. Like I like, I gave that gift to her. Um, I didn't spend lots of years hating her. I probably have prayed for her more than most people. And I forgave her. So hear me. Like, we can do that. Like, I can forgive you. But then I'm like, I want you to, like, do you. And I want to live my own life. Like, God, don't ask me to, like, in any way, like, interact with that person now. Or don't ask me to take it to a less extreme place of, like, not as intense betrayal. You can have a friendship. And someone's, like, really hurt your feelings. Maybe, like a girl or a guy has consistently like talked about you or been manipulative or all these things. And you can be like, yeah, yeah, I forgive them. Like, God, I release them. I forgive them. But then every time in the, they come in the room, you're like, Ugh. like every time you see an Instagram post, you're like, ah, if only people knew who you really were. Like every time you see that person, and this is real, honestly, this year has been like crazy for Tiger and I and the opportunity for offense and relationship and being misunderstood and different things. And I found it in myself. I'm like, I'm like forgiving people for crazy stuff. I'm like, yes, God, save all of ISIS. They've like murdered people. And yet this person is talking about me and I find myself wanting to withhold. I'm like, I don't even want to look at you. Like sometimes it's actually the small things that get us. Like, like I, I find a fence like building and all of a sudden I actually don't want someone to prophesy over that person. I'm like, she's a fake. Like she actually isn't being honest. And I start to build a case against people in my head. And then before I know it, I'm in bitterness. And that's a really good indicator because, again, I can love somebody and completely see who they are and not necessarily need to be their best friend, but I can't have a hard heart towards somebody and pretend that my heart's tender before the Lord and he fully has access to my heart. If my heart is actually hard towards someone and I'm, I'm like, building a case against them, even if it's justified. And that's the tricky part is so often it's really justified. <clears throat> But thank God, when Jesus is justified, he doesn't hold our sin against us. Um, and so I'm going to share this story about what God did, because I feel like there's this thing that God wants to invite us into where it's not just some of it. Some of you, honestly, probably in this whole time, you're thinking about actually very real trauma or pain, or God's going to invite us into a place of like releasing forgiveness. And sometimes we have to release forgiveness multiple times. Donna, did Donna draw that mountain thing? Do you guys remember this? And I felt like that was so powerful when she showed me that because I'm like, it's true. Like the key is I'm constantly coming back to Jesus saying, please help me. Like I need help. I am having a hard time with this person. I'm actually in a lot of pain. I really need your help. And then he aligns my heart. I have perspective. Something lifts off of me. Something else comes up and it's hurtful. I'm like, ah, I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. Like 
I just want like you to move. And then I come back to Jesus and it's like, okay, my heart's right. So sometimes it is that process. It's not like just in one moment, I'm totally, I've forgiven. I do think what happened with Tiger and me, for me with, in that situation was a gift of God because I honestly don't think I could afford it. If I had been wrestling with unforgiveness, I could not afford to be separated from Jesus in the slightest or I would have died. And so I honestly think some of that season for me was the grace of God. But like I said, sometimes people have been mean to my kids, like said something to my kids and I'm like, I don't want to be around you ever again. Like, like, like it's amazing the offense that will creep up when, when things like, especially when things come against people that we love. So I'm more likely to want to fight somebody if they say something bad about Tiger than even if they say something bad about me. It's hard to imagine anyone saying ever anything bad about Tiger. But um, does this make sense? Is everybody tracking? I ask that often because uh, sometimes everybody's just staring at me. I'm like, I just want to make sure that everybody's in the same place. Okay. Um, so we're going after like big offenses and also like asking the Lord, like giving the Lord permission. Even as I'm talking, I'm asking that the Lord would reveal things in us where we start to realize actually my heart's been hard in this area and I've been offended. And there's going to be an invitation to invite Jesus into that place and give it to him. Um, so what I realized with this woman was that I had forgiven her and released her, but anytime I talked about her, anytime I thought about her, honestly, I thought more about like the demonic stuff. I, it was really intense. Things that she walked in were really intense, just like things that I walked in at some point. At one point, were really intense, um, but it was so hurtful and it was so intentional that it almost felt like I think in my human nature it felt justified. Like, yeah, yeah, I forgive her, I love her, but like, this is how she is, and like my view of her stayed from a place of like. I didn't realize I was doing it. I honestly wouldn't say it was like in sin because I just never knew. Um, I go to Brazil. I went to Brazil last year, uh, two two years ago, one and a half years ago. My baby, my two and a half year old was like eight months, so almost two years ago. We went to do a uh, Shannon Castile, who will be with us tomorrow with the ladies tomorrow, is one of my favorite humans. Um, we call her the General. Um, you think I'm intense? Just wait. Um, she, uh, anyway, so she was going, she speaks on the fear of the Lord. She was going to Brazil. Is anybody, is any teams going to Brazil? Oh, they don't know yet. Okay. Never mind. Sorry to rub that in that you don't know yet. Um, Brazil is amazing and literally on fire. Like I, I don't know. I went there. I'm like, did we go into like a, like one of the heavenly realms? Like, where am I? Um, we get, we get there. Um, I'm going to try and, I feel like it's important. So, I'm going to tell, like, unpack some of this, this part. I get there, and leading up to the time, I'm like, I don't know what I need. Like, I need a breakthrough. Like, I don't know what's going on. For about a year, I had had, um, they thought I had gut problems. Like, my body was, like, really swollen all the time. I couldn't wear my wedding ring. Like, I'm pretty healthy. I'm not, like, I, I just mean I don't eat a ton of, like, crazy junk food. Like, there was no reason for me to be, like, really swollen and puffy and all this stuff. And I couldn't figure it out. I'd tell Tiger, like, I don't understand what's happening. So I was, like, trying to do everything I could. I wasn't eating all these, like making sure I wasn't eating any inflammatory foods. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. That was kind of going on that year, but nothing crazy happened. And, but I could just tell like, there's something in my heart that like, I'm needing a breakthrough. Like, I feel like I'll get to this point with the Lord. And I'm like, I'm trying to believe God for these things. And I don't know what is like happening, but I feel like I just can't get there. Like I can't fully like believe him or trust him. Um, looking back, it was more so an orphan mindset. Like, I feel like everybody will get the financial breakthrough, but probably not me because I haven't done enough. Not because God doesn't love, God's not good, but because of me. Like, it was more so like an uh, identity issue for me. 
And so I go to Brazil. One of the mornings, Shannon's like, I think God wants to do something else. So we have one of our friends, um, Joanne Moody, share a little bit. I, don't, I literally don't even know what she said. If you know who she is, then you know. But like, she'll like touch you sometimes and you'll just fly across the room. You're like, what is happening? Shannon, hey, here's the side. Like, Shannon has never fallen out like someone like prayed for her and she's fallen out. She's like had encounters, crazy things happened to her, but she's just not someone that really gets like slain in the spirit, like we say. And she of all people, she's like, I would never do a courtesy fall. Like I'm not gonna fall down and make you feel good. And um she, Joe Moody prayed for her and she literally is like out like a light, it, like in the grass by the prayer room. And she's just like, what the heck? So Joe's just like this. Like she just carries the presence of God in a way that I haven't seen very often. She gets up and starts praying. She's like, I think God wants to do something. Let's like clear out the chairs. She moves out the chairs. She doesn't pray. She, nobody says anything. And literally half the room just goes into like travail and encounter. Like I'm like, what's happening? I see like one of my friends get hit. She's on the ground. Shannon just fell off of her chair, like onto the ground, is like on the ground, literally looks like she's in a coma. Like everybody's getting hit. And before I know it, I'm like, what's happening? And then I just go, ah! And I just like heave over like someone like literally was like, like, burning my insides like I can't explain it and in the back like a small part of my like um dignity in the back of my head was like you're being so loud stop it like like I'm like screaming at this point like it's like embarrassing and I don't know I'm like am I getting delivered but I don't care I'm like I don't care like I want God to do whatever he has to do I know like I need some kind of breakthrough I'm like heaved over like wailing 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 and I like let that dignity go and like I just Jesus just do whatever you need to do and so I'm like screaming and the best way I can describe what happened to me people talk about like I went to heaven and saw like streets of gold I I um you know like I saw this in the throne room that's not exactly what happened the best thing I can describe is like I was taken up inside of Jesus it was like Jesus was like this like all of heaven. I don't like it's so it's still so hard. I've, I've told this story so many times, but it's like heaven became more real to me than any of this is real. Like my like my place in heaven inside of Jesus seated with Jesus is more real than anything I'll ever see with my natural eyes. And it was like a veil got removed and I was like, holy smokes, this is real. Like this is actually reality, not what we know here. Like this is real, not this is kind of real. This is the superior real reality. I'm not saying this is like a dream or anything weird. Please don't. I'm not saying this is like our subconscious or any kind of weird theology. This is like real, but this is a superior reality that Jesus came. And that's why he says we bring heaven to earth because it's an actual reality that we bring that invades earth. Um, so I, I'm like, in this heavenly place, and I, all at once, I feel like the Lord, in his kindness, is exposing every orphan thing in me. He's saying, Carrie, you've been, look at heal, you've been looking at healing, look at me. You've been looking at provision, look at me. You've been looking at breakthrough, look at me. You've been looking at a calling, look at me. And it's like, all of a sudden, I'm like, it's all Jesus. Like, it's all inside of Jesus. Like, if I have Jesus, I have all of these things. How can I be seated at the table with Jesus in heavenly places and not have outreach money? How can I be seated and not have, and Jesus not provide rent? It was like all of a sudden, all this fear of like trying to convince God to do something that he's already done for all of eternity. I could see Selah, my niece, who was, um, she was diagnosed with leukemia when she was six. And one of these moments I was like, God, like just like literally weeping. This is separate than this encounter. I was weeping and I'm like, Jesus, like, let me have this. Like, I will take leukemia so she doesn't have to have this. Like, I can't bear this baby girl, like, going through all this treatment. It's, like, it's too much. And the moment I said, like, let me take it, I heard Jesus say, I already did. 
And it was like in a moment I knew. So now I'm back. I'm in this encounter. And it's like I can see Selah in heavenly places. And he's like, I already took it. Whether Selah lives or dies, she's healed for all of eternity. She's like, this is her eternal inheritance. It's full healing, full wholeness, never having leukemia. It's like she never had it. I see um, my baby live. She had been barfing the whole time we were in Brazil. This is like leading up to this encounter where I feel like I know part of what Tiger and I do is we believe God for the impossible. Like, I'm going to believe God for hard things that no one else, not no one, that a lot of people might not want to believe him for. I've known that that's part of the call of God on our lives is to have hope and faith when it seems impossible because that's our story and that's our lives. I know that, but then I get confronted with reality where I'm like praying for my baby. She's barfing in Brazil and she's not getting better. And all I hear the Lord saying is, she's not sick. And I'm like, this is, sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit. She's, this is leading up to this encounter that I had. I hear the Lord saying, she's not sick. Live is like se seven months at the time. And I'm like, I sound like a lunatic. Like my baby is barfing nonstop in the Amazon of Brazil. Not Amazon. What would you call that? The farm. The farm. It's not, you're in the jungle. You're not around any medical facilities that in any way you would want to take your baby to. And I'm like, I feel like the worst mom. I feel like the enemy is just like mocking me. Like, you think you can take your baby here and like believe God for big things and you're, you can't even heal your own baby. Like, I'm like, I feel the mocking of the enemy. And all again, I keep hearing the Lord say, she's not sick. And I'm like, okay. Now I'm in this encounter where he's again, showing me everything I've been trying to believe for, but have like had this block because I'm feeling like, I don't know that God wants to do that for me or not. I go back to Isaiah 53 and it says, by his stripes, we are healed, present tense. So whether I see the like actual healing in front of my eyes or not, that's my reality is here. And so I see Liv and the Lord saying, Carrie, can't you see she's not sick? And I'm understanding God's giving me a revelation of our heavenly reality. In heaven, Liv is not barfing in the jungle. She's seated with Jesus. She's perfectly healed, perfectly whole. And then I see Christy Brent, who you guys heard Brian's testimony on Thursday night. This was before Christy was heal healed, about a year before. And I see Christy's life. She's the one who, like, pioneered brave love. So part of me is like, maybe God, because I don't think about her. Like, I love her, but it's not like she's someone I regularly, she's, I'm not close with her. And the Lord shows me her, and he says, um, he said, don't you see? And it's like, I looked at Christy's life from the end to the beginning, and she was never sick in a bed. She was never, like, she didn't have Lyme's disease. She was like in the nations, preaching and teaching. She was raising her children. She was raising up young people. She was like doing all these things. He said, Carrie, Christy is one of the most active people on the planet. Like, don't believe everything that you see. She, like her, Christy's reality because of her spirit, because of what she's given to God, because of what she's stewarded in the presence of God is actually, she's more active than most athletes. Like, is this making sense? Sometimes this is where I start losing people because they're like, what are you saying? Um, I feel a little bit crazy when I'm saying it, but it's biblical. You can look it up. Just look at where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, current, present tense. It's a real place. It's not somewhere we're going. He has a heavenly reality that we're actually designed and mandated to pull down to earth. And so all of a sudden something lifted. I'm like, I'm not trying to like beg God to heal live. I'm literally just saying, let heaven come. Like live is already healed and whole. Let that invade this, what I see in front of me. Christy, and then something in me, I'm like, it's only a matter of time. Like, like faith rose up in me. Like, I can't explain. I'm like, it's only a matter of time until what, I, what God showed me in heaven is going to come crashing down in Christy's reality, and she's going to be physically healed. It was like, I knew that I knew that I knew. And a year later, at the send, she gets healed, and I'm like weeping. I wrote to Christy. I'm like, I've never told you this, but I had this encounter. And it was crazy. That's another story. But 
So I'm having all this. It's like setting me free. I literally feel, I, t- I call it deliverance, but I don't, it wasn't like demonic. I just, it was an identity. Like I, I had this orphan mentality as if I was trying to get God to do something that he hadn't already done. Like he's already given us his son. Why am I having a hard time believing that he would take care of me or that he loves me? Like if, if Tiger and I gave someone Abraham, Tiger uses this illustration often, like Say, say one of you guys was literally on death row for murdering children or like one of the worst things you can think. And I saw you and I'm like, to show you that I love you, I'm going to give my son Abraham, who's six and perfectly innocent, and I'm going to put him in your place and put him in the electric chair. And I'm going to give you a second chance at life so that I could have a relationship with you. That is absolutely insane. Like, I can't even fathom that, and that is exactly what the Father did to us, to con- for us, for him to show the way he values us. Like, you could never convince a parent to do that because we're, like, that's our kids. And yet Jesus, even more so, even more innocent than Abraham, even more undeserving than Abraham, literally comes. The Father says, okay, I'll let you go so that I can have them. Like, that he would, the Father would look at my life and say, I want you, I want you to know me so badly that I'm willing to give my son. Like, that's... I will never wrap my head around that as an earthly human being who can't love that way apart from the grace of God. This is how he helps us love. Um, I got off topic talking about the gospel. What was I saying before that? <laughs> huh? Not off to- on topic. I just mean like anytime, like I said, we'll just start talking about the cross. Um, oh, that he already did it for me. So like, hear me. Uh, just being real, something I would constantly struggle with is finances. We're missionaries. Tiger and I came here with no support from, like, a big church or family who's like, hey, we believe in you. Like, we came here with literally nothing. And so something the enemy consistently tries to get me to do is worry about provision. And something broke over me that day. I'm like, how? Like, it's almost an insult to the cross. That's like us, like me giving, what's your name here? Aaron. So say I did that. Say I gave my son for you. And then three weeks from now, you're like, hey, could I borrow $20? But I don't really, like, know if you, like, really love me enough to give me $20. But, like, can I, do you think maybe I'll pray for this? Like, I'd be like, that's insulting. I gave you my son. Like, there's literally nothing else I could do to show you how much I love you. And this is what, this is what I was realizing I was doing to the Lord. Like, like, I'm stressing, freaking out that we're not going to have rent money. And he's like, Carrie, I gave you my son. I'm like, oh, yeah. There's also a Bible verse for that where it says, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? And I'm having this revelation, and it's literally changing my life. I get physically healed in the process. I asked Joe later, I'm like, do you see that? Because she, she sees that often. Hear me? It's not an equation. If you have back pain, it doesn't mean you have a demon or you're in bitterness. But she's like, I see it often where people will get healed on the inside, and then their bodies come into alignment as well. And so all this stuff that was happening with my swelling, it's like I deflated and I could eat anything I wanted and wouldn't get swollen. It was so crazy. And she said, I think because you had tension on your identity, tension in your insides, or tension in like your spirit and your identity, you actually had tension in your insides and your body was responding to that tension. I was like, this is crazy. That's again, a whole nother topic for a whole nother time. But I get like healed on the inside, healed in my body. This whole thing happens to me in Brazil. I'm like sweating like a crazy person. I'm like, like what is, I feel like I got hit by a tree. I had an f- actual fever um, because of the fire, the fire of God was so intense. And I am like, what just happened? I end up still, I, had, I take Liv to the hospital. I was like, okay, Jesus, I believe you, I trust you. I still need to know about like what to do about my baby. And I felt like, honestly, I felt like, like there was so much warfare to get me to not have that, like to get me to leave early. Um, and that's why the Lord kept telling me up until then, like, I want you to believe me, she's not sick. I ended up going into the city, taking her to the doctor. 
the doctor was like, this is the most unusual thing I've ever seen. She had a, a bladder infection, like she had a bacterial infection, and they were convinced for sure she wouldn't. They're like, it must be a virus, because if a baby has a bacterial infection, they almost 100% of the time have a really high fever, have all these other symptoms, and are totally miserable. And Liv was like, beaming, smiling, happy as can be. She just happened to be barfing a ton. It was like the weirdest warfare. And they gave her some medicine and she was fine. We got on the plane and went home. So again, hear me. I'm not against medicine. I'm really thankful for doctors. It was like a deep thing that God did in me that doesn't, that doesn't measure healing, provision, all these things based off of my circumstances. And it measures it by eternity and what Jesus has purchased for us. And I'm getting on the plane now out of this encounter. And I'm like, just still processing everything. And I'm, I'm, we're ending at 1130. Yeah. I'm on the plane, minding my own business, listening to some worship music. And I like get taken into this, I don't know what you want to call it, vision encounter thing. And um, Jesus is seated at this banquet table. And the woman that uh, Tiger had the affair with is seated, seated next to him. And I walk into the room and she stands up and she's like stunning, like Honestly, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Just like dressed in royalty. Like she looks like a queen. And I start crying and she starts crying. And I look at Jesus and he's standing, sitting there just smiling at me. And I look at her and I just, out, out of my mouth comes the words, you're a woman of purity, integrity, and holiness. You're a woman of purity, integrity, and holiness. I just say it over and over and it starts to wash over her. This is, this is my, in my vision. And she starts to weep and cry. And... Um, that's basically it. And I'm just like a baby weeping on the plane. And I realized what God's showing me is he's saying kind of what I was starting to unpack earlier is I had like forgiven her and released her, but I was like still not able to like fully see her because of my own pain and because of what all of that did to me. Again, totally justified. It was totally wrong, but it put this like thing over, we use the word veil often because I feel like it's a good description where it's like, you just can't quite see totally clearly. And I felt like in a moment, the Lord lifted that off and I could actually see her, not as she is, but as Jesus sees her, like what he died for her to be. And I was just undone and I was repenting. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. Like, please don't let me ever talk about her in a way that would paint a different picture than what I'm seeing right now of what you see in her and who you've called her to be. Um, I called my brother when I got, I saw some things for him too in the vision. And I called my brother and he's like, thank you so much. But like, that's just like not reality for me right now. And I'm like, I know, like, I'm pretty sure that's probably why I'm calling you to tell you. Kind of like what Tiger said, often the Lord will do something. He'll show us something because usually there's a, a major testing that's going to happen that's going to require that word to hold on to, to actually persevere in faith. And so I'm still holding on to that. There hasn't been the fullness of redemption in like their story. But for me, when I think about her, I've asked God, like, give me grace, give me eyes to see the way that you see, because I know that's the way he sees me and that's the way he sees you and all of the stuff that we've done. And there's an invitation to... I'm sorry, I'm just making sure before we close that I... Oh, the thing that Darlene said is uh, someone, some, one of my friends asked Darlene, like, hey, what's... Or, or she was in the room when Darlene was asked, like, what's one of the greatest ways to, like, keep the flame? Like, you guys are, like, more on fire for God now than you've ever been. Almost 60 years of YWAM being a, a, a missions movement. And without hesitating, she said, We've kept, I've kept my heart from offense. She said that was the num- one of the number one things that's kept the fire of God burning in her heart is that she's free from offense. 
Do you have any idea the amount of offense that they would rightfully be able to take in 60 years of ministry? I just hear like a young 18-year-old say one thing about Laura. I'm like, I am mad at you and don't ever come to Ohana Court again. <laughs> like someone just say, says that they're like, it's boring or I don't know, something I'm like, I'm like defensive. But I'm like, the amount of times people have said, you guys are doing this wrong. Like we cannot imagine the opportunity that they've had, the amount that they've been betrayed. People have literally stolen millions of dollars from them. Like talk about the amount of opportunity for offense. And yet Darlene is literally saying that one of the number one ways that's kept my heart tender and the flame burning is that I'm free from offense. And I'm like, dear Lord, please let that be all of our inheritance at such a young age that we would be able to be free from offense even when it's very, very justified. And again, this doesn't work if you don't trust Jesus. Like, I can't be free from offense if I don't actually trust Jesus with my heart and with my pain. I can try. I can try to be good. I can try to be nice. But it will come out. Like, it will 100% come out um, in probably lots of ways. And it will come out on outreach. And it will come out in marriage. And it will come out in all of your relationships. So this is actually a glorious gift that we can bring our hearts before the Lord and say, God, search my heart and find any way in me that offends you, any way in me that, would, that I'm holding things against people. Something Bill Johnson talks about is uh, he unpacks that scripture where it says, like, if you're coming, you, you're bringing your altar, your gift to the altar before God to make a sacrifice, but someone has something against you or there's, like, some things, there's tension in a relationship, put this down and go be reconciled to your brother and then come back and give me an offering. Can you imagine if we were all in worship and felt like maybe I shouldn't be worshiping the Lord right now until I make this right with my brother and my sister so that I can come and bring a pleasing offering and sacrifice to the Lord with a pure and tender heart that I could like bring acceptable worship to the Lord. And hear me, Tiger and I still get tested in this. We're not perfect. Like I get, I have moments of getting offended and being hurt and being, feeling very justified. But I can say with integrity that I don't know that we haven't gone to bed without asking Jesus, Jesus, help us. Search my heart and help me to see this person. Search my heart and help me um, to help us to see each other. Help us to see whatever's going on. Like, we're allowed to get angry. We're allowed to have emotions. Like, it's, we're going to have emotions, I should say that. You're going to have a, an emotional response to pain and to hardship. The key is what we do with it and whether we let it brew and grow and grow into bitterness and offense. And it's actually so important to the Lord that he'll, he would actually tell us, put this on hold and be reconciled here so that this can be at its fullness, so that I can come before the Lord with my heart totally pure, totally in the light, not it, like completely perfect, but that God would have permission to speak into anything and I wouldn't be holding it like, well, yeah, I can't actually think about that person or don't ask me to forgive that person for that. Um, it's honestly, truly one of the greatest gifts we have. But the flesh doesn't want to die easily. So sometimes it's an actual, it's an actual, um, it's like a war to do it. And what I felt like yesterday when Sam was saying that um, he was talking about just this generation and believing God for that divorce would begin to like, instead of increasing, increasing, actually with your generation, it would start to decline, decline, decline. We'd actually have an understanding of what covenant is and, and that we would have healthy families, healthy marriages. We can shout revival all day long. If we don't have healthy families, a society will not be transformed. Like if you don't have children who are growing up in, a, in an environment where they can be loved and champion and all these things, if you don't have healthy marriages, it, everything hinges on that. So this is actually so, so important, not just to your own heart and your own life, but actually to what we're all called to. And I felt like, 
I felt like just this charge to, to almost dare you guys to have hope. Like to have hope when maybe it wasn't your story. Maybe you had the most opposite story. One of the students in the April school, probably one of the craziest stories I've ever heard of brokenness in terms of like group home to foster care to jail to abuse to like talk about never knowing a day in his life that he was loved and accepted. He encounters the love of Jesus and he's like a completely different person. He's not an orphan. He's a son. It's like insane. And I'm thinking that guy's going to be a good dad. Like he's like Tiger, what Tiger is giving to an entire generation is totally like impossible apart from the gospel. That's not because someone gave him a good book on self-help to like try to be a better dad. Like that's not possible apart from Jesus. But what I feel like God's doing is like in the most, in such hopeless times, like there's never been probably more hopeless times in terms of relationships, families, brokenness in marriage, confusion over sexuality, confusion over even what does God even believe? I don't know. This is kind of what I want to believe today. That is a really scary thing. It's a really, really scary thing. And I feel like there's actually God's raising up a remnant in your generation to have hope in the gospel, to have hope that Jesus can do the impossible in your relationships, in your marriages, in your dating relationships. And kind of what I started with, I want to end with, in, in everything we're talking about, whether it's forgiveness, coming out of shame, all these things, that you would actually be thinking about like, you're, like what you're created for. And you're created to do the impossible and to partner with God in in and the hardest things. And sometimes we think the hardest things are like trekking the Himalayas or doing these physical things. Or, But often the hardest things, honestly, are relationships. I've never known that like I've known that this year. I'm like, this is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's to keep choosing to hope, to keep choosing to be vulnerable when you've been hurt, to keep choosing all these things when it would be so easy not to. That is bravery to me. I'm like, that is crazy courage to have a life of pain and then be willing to be vulnerable, to have a life of betrayal and be willing to trust again. Like that is miracle signs and wonders as far as I'm concerned. And I honestly believe it's all of your inheritance. I believe it's all of our inheritance. And a huge part of that is keeping our hearts from offense. So it's a little bit early, but Tiger, I don't know if you have anything to add or Sam. Tiger probably has something to say. Tiger and I, like, well, like, he'll say something, and I was thinking it, or I'll say something, and he was thinking it. It's like we read each other's minds. Are you sure? Do you want to share a story on being free from offense? <laughs> He's my favorite in the whole world, so I always want him to speak, even if he doesn't. Um. Here. Aww. <laughs> this is Titus. Um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't planning on saying anything. Um, I was just standing in the back in awe of my wife. Uh, and how incredible she is, how much authority she has. If there's anyone that has authority to talk to you about forgiveness, obviously she has a lot of it, right? 
And authority doesn't come, right? Authority is two things. Authority is I get closer to Jesus. He's been given all authority. The closer I get to him, the more when I get up, I'm like, man, I have authority. As I'm getting close to him, I realize it. But authority also comes from your life living it, right? I have authority because of like Jesus got up and read from Scripture, right? He read from Isaiah and all the other teachers of the law, all the other Pharisees read the same Scripture. But when Jesus read it, they said, we've never heard anybody speak with such authority. But it was his life. It wasn't, it wasn't just words he was reading, it was his life. So when I'm watching my wife up here, it's her life. Like she's telling you about her life. She has authority with what she's saying because she's living this every single day, right? Not in perfection, super vulnerable. I blew it, you know, and then I have to repent, right? But if there's anyone that's going to be quick to repent, I'm going to be the first to repent. I'm not waiting for someone else to come and repent to me. I am initiatory. I go and repent when I need to repent, right? That's a true leader. A lot of us think about leadership and we're like, oh man, I'm leading from the front. I'm leading this. No. True leadership is the first to forgive. Like, I lead people in forgiveness. True leadership is the first to repent. I lead people in repentance, right? True leadership is the first to own something that no one else wants to own, right? Leadership, when it comes down to it, is doing the thing that really no one else wants to do, right? Um, so I was just in awe of my wife, all that to be said, because she's got authority. And I think forgiveness, um, it goes, and like Carrie said, you guys did pure heart already. Um, and I think forgiveness is... For me, forgiveness was a big deal because um, it was always my weapon, right? It was always my weapon against someone, right? If, it's like my way of saying, oh, yeah, but I haven't really forgiven you, right? It was like I, if I truly forgave someone, it's like I was letting them off the hook, right? When someone's done something painful to you, it's like I don't want to forgive you because then it's like I'm releasing you, right? And it was always the thing that I would use, right? So forgiveness was a big deal. When I finally met Jesus, like Carrie said, you see the example of forgiveness, the overflow of that of my life is it's impossible not to forgive. When I'm standing in that moment, I'm looking at Jesus and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm understanding love for the first time. I'm understanding what it really looks like to be free, understanding the cross and all of these things. It's impossible for anyone then to stand next to me and me be like, I can't forgive you though. The same thing that happened to me is not available for you. It just doesn't work that way, right? It's the overflow. But the other thing I was just going to say for me personally, um, maybe this will speak to some of you, but it's a big deal to forgive yourself as well, to forgive, forgive yourself for things that you've done. I'm super hard on myself. I'm very disciplined. I'm driven, like I said the other day, and a big part of my forgiveness process was forgiving certain people, was forgiving my mom, forgiving my dad, forgiving people, but the hardest one for me to forgive was myself, right? The hardest one for me to actually like release from all the things that I had done was me, and for some reason, it, it was like this struggle, but then I came back to this place, and the thing that Jesus consistently said over me again and again and again, right, is the only title that's over your life is son, right? It's not adulterer anymore, right? It's not coward anymore. It's not hypocrite anymore. It's not this anymore. It's not that anymore. The greatest thing over your life is, or sorry, the only title of your life now is son, and you're supposed to walk in sonship, but really I, my wrestle was not necessarily what God was saying about me. My wrestle was what I was saying about myself, right? And I think forgiveness, once again, um, a big part of it is releasing, releasing people, but also releasing yourself, right? Releasing yourself from some of the stuff. Maybe some of you have done gnarly things in relationships, I did a lot of gnarly things, right? It's not like I had a one-night stand with a woman. I did things that I should never have done, right? Emotional things, right? Physical things that I should never have done, right? Some of you may have had those things. Maybe you've never honored a woman, right? Maybe whatever it may be, vice versa. But there's a big part of this, I feel like, today for us 
in releasing yourself from how you were in relationships before, recognizing you're in a moment of forgiving people if you need to, forgiving yourself if you need to, and recognizing what Carrie was saying at the end, there is hope for you to be walking what you're actually called to walk in. If there is ever a moment for you to have hope for something, right now is a moment for you to hope that you can be transformed, you can actually walk something out. Crazy thing that Jesus does is he, well, sometimes he hands us things. Other times, most times in my life, he works something out in my life. Right? Hey, Jesus, I really want to learn how to love. Okay, tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, right? And I'm going to give you opportunities to love someone, right? Jesus, I really want to learn patience, right? It's not like I wake up the following morning, I'm the most patient man on the face of the earth. He's like, hey, you really want patience? Here's a really irritating person. Go do work duty with them, right? Like, okay, do I really want patience, though? Right? It's like Jesus, most times, what he does is he doesn't just... Sometimes he does. Sometimes he gives us crazy gifts, right? Honestly, the gift of salvation, that's a gift. They didn't work for it, right? But there's, there's other things where he's like, it's, he's fathering us, right? Just like my son Abraham. My son Abe, as much as I love him, there's certain things I'm like, Abe, here you go. You know, here's this toy from Target. I know you wanted it, right? It's a gift. There's other things. As a dad, I look at him and like, well, okay, hold on. I could totally step in and do all of this for him. But as a loving father, I'm going to look at him. I'm not going to be distant from him. I'm going to be right, I'm going to be shoulder to shoulder with him. I'm like, all right, Abe, you spilt that. Here's a towel. Here's, here's how you wipe it up, right? I'm walking with him through the whole thing as a loving father, teaching him about who he is, teaching him about his identity in me as his dad, that I'm not leaving him, right? And that's what God does with us. Right? But in relationships, you have to understand, you guys are in a moment right now saying, okay, I've forgiven, I've gone through this, I'm a different person, I'm going to walk out healthy relationships, but it's not going to be like you're going to wake up tomorrow, be totally transformed, and you don't have to think about anything. He's going to give you opportunity to do it. He's going to give you opportunity to walk it out, and you will be transformed, your mind will be transformed by the renewing of truth every single day as you start to believe it, and believe it, and wash yourself with it, wash yourself. I didn't wake up the following morning after I got saved, I didn't wake up and become the best husband right there. There was a process to it, and there was a fight to it. There was a wrestle in it. And sometimes when you're wrestling through something, it's seen as negative. I never see it as negative. In fact, if you haven't wrestled through the thing, you don't actually believe in the thing. You, what, you, what you end up on is what you've wrestled through, right? So if I just give you secondhand information, you can sit there and regurgitate it. But unless you've actually wrestled through whether you believe it or not, you don't actually believe it, right? That was my wrestle. And so... I didn't get, I wasn't completely transformed. Next day, wake up, I'm the best husband in the world. No, I had to wrestle through my guilt. I had to wrestle through my shame. I had to wrestle through all these things, continuously believing, okay, this is how I feel, but I'm not ruled by my emotions. Jesus, what are you saying about me? This is what I'm thinking right now, but I'm no longer a slave to those trains of thought. Jesus, what are you saying about me, right? This constant renewing, wrestling through it. You come out, you start to look, man, it's only been a week, but I'm more vulnerable than I've ever been in my life. Okay, now it's been a year, but I'm more free and whole than I've ever been. Now it's been two years, right? Now it's been this. And I can say, like I can stand up here and say, like, I've been free for some time, right? But it wasn't overnight. It was daily decisions, right? It was these, it was these little steps of obedience. It's not this one massive thing. All right, I'm going to step into my calling. One massive step. It's a lot of little decisions all day, every single day. A lot of little decisions that you're going to make all throughout the day. Especially in relationships, because you guys are all in some context of relationship, not always guy, girl, but anyway, is that good? Yeah? yeah? Um, I'm a, Sam, you can come up and take us into...